This morning's reading comes from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or our father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the past week and then in coming weeks till Easter, we're going to be thinking about moments in our lives, things in our lives, values that define who we are, those defining moments. We've invited you to um, participate in that, um, and there's a, there's a word in the bulletin about how you can do that through social media to increase uh, the awareness of moments in our lives, all of us who find ourselves at crossroads or moments that define us for the future. And so that's what this message is about this morning. Um, I read something on Facebook this week. It was a post. It was a post that read this. Loneliness is the great poverty of Western society. Loneliness. The person who posted it went on to comment and she said, Who needs God or other people when you have a nice, big, fat bank account? How true is that statement? 
either one of those statements, the one by Mother Teresa or the person who made the post on Facebook. Now, I have to tell you that I'm that person sometimes. I don't have a care in the world. I got what I need, got what I want. I like stuff. I confess to you, I've told y'all and made fun of myself that I like clothes. Bought a, got a bear, new pair of cowboy boots for my birthday, 80% off at Hudson's. Ostrich skin. Had them on last week. They hurt my feet. Uh, could wear them back, I didn't think. But someone told me at the bank, put mink on them. She owned three pair of cowboy boots. So I did, and it was great. I'm going to tell uh, my, my, my tailor that. Uh, at Sess Bank next week. It worked. But I like stuff. I bet you do too. But you know what? Even those cowboy boots, the luster's going to wear off of them here pretty soon. Even that they're ostrich. Even that I got them at 80% off at Hudson's. It's, gonna, it's just going to be in my closet like something else that's there. Sound familiar? Well, you know, and, and I've been in the in the pew and in the seat when preacher preaches about giving, and that seat gets hard and uncomfortable pretty quick sometimes. Because we all know the truth about our circumstances. We think about what we can't give, and we rationalize what we need. We want our kids to get Christian education, as long as it doesn't interfere with academics or social life or uh, their activities and sports. Um, and if it doesn't require too much of our time, I mean, I get it. We don't want anybody to challenge us to what political stances to take or how we balance our checkbook. That is a private affair. And our culture has been seduced by that. We believe that hook, line, and sinker. David Luce suggests that we have bought into this quintessential American myth of the private and public with the church and faith falling into the private part, and everything else public. But my friends, the gospel calls into question that kind of thinking. The gospel calls for a relationship with God which unites the heart, the mind, the soul, and the body. When our faith is mature, it encompasses all of our life, not just this part or this part. And that is a defining moment. That is a defining decision. It is a defining process, in fact. I mean, wealth can mask our dependence upon God. When someone won the lottery this week, a mother of four, I wonder if anybody asked her, so how's your relationship with God going to change? I didn't hear that, did you? Wealth can also create a sense that we don't need our neighbor. Maybe we may may be more suspicious that they may want something more from us. So in walks this young man in the scripture. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, tell this story about this young man. He comes in, and in Mark's gospel, he gets down and kneels at the feet of Jesus. He says, "What what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him pretty quickly. First of all, nobody's good but God, dude. So don't come in here and try to schmooze me. God's good alone. But he takes seriously the young man's questions. I mean, think about it. He, He says, okay, how do you practice your faith? He 
What about the commandments? Because in Judaism, that was the biggie. You know, keep those commandments. And he gave them, he, Jesus talked about four, and they're all relational commandments. Called for fidelity in marriage, truth-telling, respecting other people's possessions, and respecting other people's life. And then he said, relate well to your family and be good to your neighbor. And the young man said, I have done that since I was a little boy. Jesus says, well then, I guess there's only one thing if you want to be perfect. And in Matthew, I don't know if you caught that a while ago, that really means mature. He said, what? And Jesus said, well, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. He didn't say it out loud, but I'm thinking, you got to be kidding. He didn't, or he wouldn't. And it leaves us to wonder some things. Is it possible that this man had more than money to give? Wasn't he a man of influence? He was called the rich young ruler in a couple of versions of this story. Surely he would have had time if he'd had wealth. He could boss people around or get people to do things for him. He had time that he could have used for another purpose if he wanted to. And we could suppose that he had talent. I mean, he was wealthy. He, he built his fortune. These more than just are just some that are challenging. And they are in themselves acquisitions that he could have done on his own, perhaps to at least show Jesus he was willing to follow more. And oh, by the way, the disciples witnessed all this. You think about the disciples. Think about Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. In particular, James and John, they left their, their jobs. They left their nets on the seashore. Matthew... I don't know if it was tax season or not, but Matthew left his job collecting taxes. And he was pretty good at it, even though most people didn't like tax collectors. But they did. They left. And and Jesus speaks about this hold that possessions can have on our lives. He uses this imagery of the irony irony of trying to have a, a camel walk through the eye of the needle. That's a hyperbole. But... It was an extravagant illustration to talk about. For some folk, they just consumed. They were consumed by their stuff. What's going on in this text? Would you consider this statement? Everybody in this room is wealthy. When compared to the rest of the world, with the choices we have at our disposal to be comfortable and even excessive, We are rich. Now, you may not, preacher, you ain't been to, we're not rich, we're middle class, we're not rich. I can choose at my house to turn on hot and cold water when I want to. You know how many people in the world don't have that choice? Now, it's a challenge when we think about it that way. 
It's a criticism that may have a response of defensiveness on our parts, but it's a decision that confronts us and defines us at times. I wish it was not true because I understand. I don't consider myself rich. I have a mortgage to pay, college funds to, to support, taxes to pay, doctor bills, vet bills, car payments, activities and sports in which my children want to participate, a retirement to fund. I wrestle with the, the charities that I support beyond the local church that my wife and I give to God. I mean, those decisions define me. And in my heart, I want to follow. I really do. But there are choices that I make sometimes. So I can feel for this man. I can feel for him. He walked away. I've read some things this week about this story and about this young man and about this whole struggle with, with riches and defining how they define us and how we often let them define us. And, and these three quotes, you may not know any of these people. Two of them are famous religious people who are deceased. One of them is still active. Father Richard Rohr said this. It's a poignant word about our struggle to find meaning in our discipleship. It's not addition that makes us holy, he says, but subtraction, which strips away the illusions and calls for us to let go of the pretense, exposing our false self and breaking open our heart and understanding so that we don't take our private selves too seriously. He says conversion is more about unlearning than learning. That's heady stuff. Conversion is more about unlearning than learning. And then the great theologian Martin Luther, who, who gave rise to the whole Protestant movement that we had back in the, the 1700s, he said this, conversion has three points or three places. There's three kinds of conversions. Conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and conversion of the purse. And that's true. That's true. And that takes a while for some of us on our journey to really appreciate and learn what that really means. And then John Wesley said it this way. Earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. Why should we believe these men? What did their faith have to do with yours and mine? It's a fair question. But consider that they are men whose lives point us to following Christ. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to defining my life as a steward of all that God has given me. I don't know about you. But I do know some mature Christians in this world who've come to realize that they want less. And they want to give more to, of themselves to others and circumstances that relieve the suffering in this world. So I want to give you something to do this week. I think you'll like it. 
I hope it will help you remember this story and this text in a good way, in a gracious way, as you wrestle with what it means to be a person of means in a world where the have and have-nots are growing farther and farther apart. What I want you to do this week is when something good happens to you, when some blessing comes your way, either personally from someone else or from an email or for something that happens and you go, wow, this is great. I want you to stop. I want you to thank God. Make a list if you want to at the end of the day. And before you lay your head on the pillow or turn off the TV or after you turn off the TV, turn off your cell phone, just remember those blessings of the day. I am rich. I am rich. And I'm really rich with friendship. My life has been enriched by people all through my journey who've invested in me, who've spent time with me, who've bestowed me with gracious gifts, monetary gifts. I've got all sorts of things in my office and in my home that people have given me over the years. One of my most precious gifts was a gift given to me by Margaret. Margaret lived in the Delta when Curry and and Graham and I, Kaysen wasn't there yet. He wasn't with us yet. We moved to the Delta in Greenwood back in 2000. Uh, Margaret was on the Pastor Parish Relations Committee. That's the committee that oversees the work of the parish. She was tall. She was a very attractive woman. She was from Kansas. Her husband had dropped dead, leaving her four kids when she was 44. And she had managed to live throughout her life, never remarried. And she was kind of rough. She was kind of gruff at that first meeting. I told Curry we were driving back to South Haven and hmm, I may nickname her Sarge. Anyway, she was tough. But what I discovered in four years is she was one of the most gracious people I've ever met. Wisdom flowed out of her. I could tell you another story about, about dancing with a band one night and, and waking up the next morning thinking, oh, my God, I've embarrassed Margaret. And when she told me, when she saw me at church the next morning, the first thing she said was, The song was Mustang Sally, and the first thing she said was, Ride, Sally, ride. A week before I left Greenwood to move to Meridian, Margaret showed up at the church. She had a box, and inside it, and I didn't know, we had several potters in our church, wonderful gifted people who made all sorts of things, plates. Come to the house sometimes. We could own our own store, no kidding. But she opened it up. And remember when I first got here, or for a little period of time, I have another robe. It's, it looks like a poncho. It's, uh, it's made out of linen. It's an off-white color. And it has a stole. And, well, it was a, a rendition of me in that poncho with my guitar strapped over my shoulder like that. And there were angel wings. There were angel wings on the back side of that. She said, you know, I started out with horns up here, but I took them off. About three weeks ago, Margaret died, and I didn't get to go to Greenwood to the funeral. And sometimes when I'm sitting out on my front porch or on the patio and I'm chilling, I think about people like Margaret, whose life was lived helping, serving, and doing She had a lot of resources. 
Most of it was between her ears because she was creative. So count your blessings this week. Think about the ways in which you are rich. You know what you need to do with your money. You know how you ought to spend it. We all have that in common because the gospel calls us to live a life of generosity and faithfulness, being a good steward. I'm going to join you this week. I, I won't be here next Sunday to tell you about my blessings, but I may put something on, on, on Facebook this week to talk about that. I encourage you to do that and, and be a blessing and share a blessing because those things are the things that really do define us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. David is going to come and lead us in our time of preparation for Holy Communion. I want to say a word to the celebrants this morning who will be standing here. We want you to take the bread, break it, and, and offer it to others as they come. Read their name. One of the reasons why we do that.